Hello, friends. We've spent a number of weeks now looking at the blight of bitterness. We've seen what it can do, and we've seen that there are physical and psychological and spiritual consequences to bitterness. We've seen what bitterness does to our souls. We've seen that we're going to become like the one against whom we're bitter. So we've spent lots of time talking about it, and we've seen that we are to forgive those who have hurt us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did is okay. It doesn't mean that God is okay with it. It doesn't mean that I've forgotten it. It means that by an act of my will, I have released the hurt. I have released the offense to the Lord Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. I've let him have it. And we've spent lots of weeks talking about that. But in looking at the blight of bitterness and all that it causes and all the hurt that there is in the world today, all of the offenses, what if I have discovered that I am an offender? What if I discover that I have hurt someone else? I've hurt others. Have you heard the adage, hurt people, hurt people? What if that's me? What if I am an offender? What do I do? Get your Bible and let's talk about it. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy. Now, we're not going to dwell on this passage. There's so much to talk about in it, but I want to show you something. The book of 1 Timothy is a letter written from Paul to Timothy by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Paul had this intense love and concern for all of the churches, and really especially for the church at Ephesus and for Timothy. And for Timothy. Timothy was probably 28 to 30 years old when he was pastoring this church. And so Paul wrote him this letter. In the first chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verses 12 through 17, Paul gives his personal testimony of God's saving grace. To get some context, let's read that. Beginning in verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason, I found mercy. In order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. 
Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's his testimony. But now we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. Now let me make a quick comment here. The command I entrust to you, Timothy, Paul is depositing in pastor, young pastor Timothy, he is depositing the, the, the gold of the gospel, the treasure of the gospel. He mentions that all through 1 Timothy and all in 2 Timothy. Guard the treasure, the gold, the, the treasure of the gospel that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Paul calls Timothy to fight the good fight. He calls him to a warfare. He calls Timothy to the realization that he is in a spiritual battle there is a constant spiritual battle going on between light and darkness. And so then Paul tells Timothy what he needs to fight with. In this passage, he gives him two things. He tells them what he needs. But this warfare is tremendous conflict between God and Satan. And so it filters down through warfare between holy angels and fallen angels, and then it filters down between redeemed people and unredeemed or ungodly people. And so Satan attacks the church. And Satan attacks the church because he wants to attack God. He wants to attack the work of God. He hates God. So every day, we believers need to recognize that we're in battle. And we need to recognize those battle lines and we need to understand the weapons of our warfare. There are others mentioned in other places in scripture, the primary one being obedience to the Lord. But here, Paul is talking to Timothy about two. And he says to Timothy, fight a good warfare. It's a serious warfare. It is a spiritual battle. And so in order to win the war, we, like Timothy, need verse 19. Did you see what he said? Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. In other words, he says, I know people who have messed up when they did not focus on faith and good conscience. Now, we know that having faith means believing God believing his word. And so it is being committed to the truth of God. Faith is believing what God said and acting on it. Don't let go of the faith. That's what Paul always emphasizes to Timothy and throughout the New Testament. So he's emphasizing it here. And so he sends Timothy to fight the good fight with faith. But another thing, a good conscience. And that's what I want to talk about. He went on to explain that some have rejected these two things and have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. What is a good conscience? 
God gave us a conscience. Does your conscience ever bother you? Do you know what that feeling is when your conscience bothers you? It nags you about something. What is a good conscience? A good conscience is the ability to look any person in the eye and know that he or she cannot point a finger and say, you offended me, you hurt me, and you never tried to make it right. It's the ability to look a person in the eye and know that they cannot say, you hurt me and you never tried to make it right. A good conscience is a strong, healthy conscience. It's a conscience that is cleared of offenses toward God and toward others. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, Paul said that he always took pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. What does it mean to have a clear conscience toward God and man? What does a good conscience involve? Well, it involves everything as a believer. It involves every thought. It involves every word, every deed, every attitude, every motive, every action. It involves everything. So let's go back to the question that we're asking in this lesson on forgiveness. What if I am the offender? What if I've hurt someone? What are some steps that I can take to deal with that, to gain a good conscience so that I'm in a position to do a good fight, so that I'm in a position to do good warfare. So I've listed several things here. Let's talk about them. First one I listed is ask God to give you the desire for a clear conscience. Ask God to give you a desire for a clear conscience. A clear conscience is freeing. And what I'm afraid of in a lot of cases that is that we have been so acclimated to a not so good conscience that we're used to it and we don't know it's a problem. So ask the Lord to reveal to you the state of your conscience. Is it clear? And so when we decide to clear our consciences, then it's laying aside heavy, burdensome baggage that weighs us down. It's freeing. So Ask God, first of all, to make us want to and to identify when we don't have a totally clear, free conscience. Number two, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind offenses which need to be cleared up. Just ask him and be ready. Now, he may not... Blop them all out at, at, at one time, just immediately. But you be ready to listen to him, to be in his word. And you need a pencil and a piece of paper or an iPad, however you do. I like pencil and paper. But ask the Lord where the offenses are in your conscience that need to be cleared up. They may be offenses against God. They may be offenses against your family, your spouse, against teachers, friends, neighbors, uh, employers. The list can just go on and on and on where you remember something that you said, something that you did, someone you made fun of, all kinds of things. But anyway, write them down. Just write them down. Now, this is just for you and the Lord. Write them down. This is a kind of good conscience worksheet, okay? And so write all of that down as these things come to your mind. Now just write down what comes to your mind and you're going to deal with it a little bit later. 
Now you're going to look at the list and see who those people are. See what the occasion was. And here's the next question. See if anybody on that list has offended you. Look at the list and see if anybody on there has offended you. Now this is where it gets ticky. And this is why this is important. Let me tell you about it. It is easy to minimize or justify our offenses when I can blame somebody for them. So when I look down that list and see that, ooh, well, look what they did to me. You know, I, they, they offended. And so when I do that, then I can justify what I did. That's not where we need to go with this. We tend as people to balance guilt with blame. A lot of times, if somebody's blaming you for something, it's because guilt is present. And so we can't balance guilt with blame. And so what happens is, oftentimes when we try to balance guilt and blame, it's keeping us from effectively dealing with either the guilt or the blame. Because we're just okay with it. We can justify it. We can rationalize it. Most of us concentrate more on blaming others then we concentrate on our own guilt. It's human nature for us. It's the flesh. And so we think that if we can blame somebody, it must make us okay, or maybe not quite as bad as we thought. So when we write these things down, that helps us to deal with forgiving them, because that's what we're going to need to do first, is release forgiveness to them. Release forgiveness, and then we get in a position where we can deal with our own guilt. We can deal with what we did to offend somebody or to hurt somebody. So all through this process, we're going to be praying Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Do you know it? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I'm going to be looking at the Lord through this process. I'm going to be alone with him. I'm going to be encountering him, and I'm going to be listening to what he says. Number three, ask this question. If I were to ask those who are offended with me what I did against them, what would they say? What would they say? What are they holding against me? Uh, was I critical? Was I judgmental? Was I hateful or harsh or slanderous? Was I untruthful? Was I dishonest? Did I steal something from them? Uh, did I abuse someone? Has the Lord dealt with my heart about something? You know, I may have done something years ago that I wouldn't think about doing now. But it's still on my conscience. And the Lord wants it dealt with. We want a clear conscience so that we can fight a good fight. So what would they say they're offended about? Sit in their chair. What is their perspective? What are they holding against me? Number four, ask this question. What was the attitude in my heart when I committed the offense? What was the attitude in my heart 
when I con committed the offense. Was I proud? Was I selfish? Was I disloyal? Was I deceptive? Was I presumptuous? Was I ungrateful? Most often, maybe, was I angry? <laughs> so what attitude was in my heart when I committed the offense? Now, here's what you have to think about and do this before the Lord. Can you trace your wrong actions or your wrong words to a wrong attitude? Can you trace what you said, what you did, to an attitude that was in your heart that was not Christ-like? So once you can do that, you know the root of the sin. The root of the sin was in my heart. So then, number five, I'm going to purpose to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to purpose, I'm going to decide to ask forgiveness. Now, God is the one who is offended the most. So he is the first one that we're going to deal with. We're going to start with God. So which of God's commandments or which of God's precepts or principles did I violate? And so when we look at that list, we may see anger. We may see what are God's commandments? We may see adultery. We may see stealing. So we're going to go back through all of those and look at God's commandments and principles and say, okay, which one of God's principles or commands did I break? Did I lie? Did I steal? Did I cause a weaker brother to stumble? So ask God, show me. You know what? He will. If your heart is open to it, he's going to show you that. So I'm going to start by confessing that sin to God. I'm going to agree with God about it, and I'm going to ask him for his forgiveness, and I'm going to thank him that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says if you confess your sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's what we're after here. We want his cleansing. We want his forgiveness. And so after I've gained a good conscience with the Lord, then I determined to go to the person that I offended. Ooh. Now sometimes that's hard. That's not an easy thing. I don't know why. There's, there's something in us that just makes us not want to ask for forgiveness. We may have find it difficult to go and make an apology, but now let me throw this in. Asking for forgiveness and having an apology are not the same thing. An apology just says, I'm sorry. Asking for forgiveness is exactly that. And we're going to talk about how to do that. But one of the greatest hindrances is the feeling that the person you wronged was also guilty. We can't find relief in that. We can't get to that place where we're trying to balance guilt with blame. I cannot find an excuse for my attitude or my behavior by pointing out something wrong in that other person. It won't work. Because what have I done? I've been to God. I've confessed that sin of attitude. I've asked him to cleanse me. And he's going to replace that. We're going to replace that thinking with God thoughts. 
And so, you know, but, but when you get to looking around, you, you may get to the place where you feel like they deserved what you did. Sometimes that's our attitude. Listen, the ground rule here before the Lord for your clear conscience is going to be that you have got to be ready to accept 100% of the blame no matter what. 100% of the blame no matter what. We have got to approach it with a genuine spirit of humility and repentance. And that first of all takes place before the Lord, then it's going to get to take place before another person. One of the best examples we have of asking for forgiveness in this way is the return of the prodigal son to his father in Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 15. That's a good example. Let's just take the time and go there. Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. We won't take the time to read the whole story, but you can read it later. It's a parable that Jesus gave. And so you know the story. The prodigal son left home and he went to live a life of what we would call, in perspective, we would call it a life of sin and foolishness. And then verse 17 here tells us that he came to his senses. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. So it's dawning on him how he's messed up and what blessings he is missing because he ran away from his father who is a picture of our heavenly father. But watch what he says. Watch the confession in verse 18. Look what he says. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now he didn't say, you know, but dad, you could have done this, that, and the other. Or what about that brother I've got who drove me to do that? He didn't say any of that. What's he doing here? He's taking full responsibility for his decision before the Lord. Do you see what he said? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And I'm here to deal with both of those things. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And so then if you skip on down, um, verse 20, he got up, came to his father. Ooh, makes me want to get off in this story, but we don't have time. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's what our heavenly father does when we come to him. And the son said to him, said what he was going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That is the confession that we make to the one whom we have offended. So we can go to this person that we've hurt and say something like, you know, God has convicted me of my sin against you. God has convicted me. He has forgiven me. I have dealt with this before God. 
I don't deserve your forgiveness, but will you forgive me? So work out the right wording before you go, but don't place any blame. No blame. No blame. Don't say, I want to ask your forgiveness, but uh-uh. Skip that part. I want to ask for your forgiveness, period. I'm not going to say, you know, I was wrong, but you were too. Don't say that. Just say, I have come to ask for your forgiveness. This is my fault. And I have dealt with it before God. Don't make any excuses. Don't say, but I was tired. Don't make any excuses. Don't go in pride. Uh, you know, don't, don't say, well, if I was wrong, uh-uh, you were wrong. The Lord has convicted you of the sin. Don't say any of that stuff. Don't presume that when you just talk about it that they're going to forgive you. Ask for it. Specifically ask for their forgiveness. Now, beware, because they may say, no, I won't. But you know what? When you get to that place, you have done what God told you you to do and your conscience is clear it's clear before the Lord and you have offered to that person so what are you going to do if they say no well you're going to just be gracious be kind express your acceptance of their decision don't beg them don't beg them just be gracious and then in the days to come you pray for them you pray for them. You seek ways that you can bless them. Now, if you've stolen something or broken something or torn something up, you may need to make restitution. Do that. Make restitution. Restore what you've stolen. Restore what you've messed up as far as you can, you know, as far as it's within you to be able to do that. Now, all of this, that clear conscience is important in our victory and fighting the noble war. What is the noble war? It's our spiritual battles. It is important to us inwardly. And get this part. It is important to a powerful influence of the church in the world. It is important. It is important that the people in the body of Christ be forgiving and clear and free of any offenses toward one another. Did you ever, did you ever hear of the fifth column? Did you ever hear of a fifth column? A fifth column refers to any group of people who undermine a larger group from within. It could be a group of hidden spies within a government. They, they secretly work for the enemy. It's a kind of an espionage. And so the larger group of which they appear to be a member is oblivious to the fact that they are attempting to destroy them from within. That's the fifth column. Are there people undermining the church? Is there a fifth column in the body of Christ because we're not willing to deal with the sin and with these forgiving, forgiveness issues? Is it there? Are we undermining the power of the church? Are we dissipating the influence of the church, the testimony of the church, because we're not dealing with 
the sin. And because we don't have good relationships with one another. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Christians who don't speak to one another? Or were you ever in a worship service where um, there was somebody there and you knew they had offended you? Maybe they uh, charged you the wrong thing, didn't, didn't keep their word to you or something. They never acknowledged it, didn't ever act like they knew anything wrong, but oh, they're praising the Lord. What does that do to your heart? It interrupts the worship. It interrupts the power that God has given to the church is one not willing to ask for forgiveness and another one not willing to give it. It's undermining the power of the testimony of the church. And you know what that means? That means that in the church, we are cooperating with the enemy. We're contributing to his success in warfare. The Lord himself is our healer. He's our healer. He's a healer of broken hearts. He's a healer of broken lives. He's a healer of bad memories. That's who he is. It will happen in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus when we decide to do what he says do. You know the verse, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, who's that? Body of Christ. God speaking. My people who are called by my name, Christians. Well, he doesn't just say humble themselves and pray. Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. What are wicked ways? Unforgiveness. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Father, let it be. Amen.